Before Abraham Lincoln served as President of the United States, you might be aware that he was a practicing attorney. And one day he was approached by a wealthy man who passionately insisted on bringing a lawsuit for $2.50 against an impoverished debtor. Now Mr. Lincoln tried to discourage him, but the man was bent on restitution. And so when Lincoln saw that the man would not change his mind, he finally agreed to take the case. But he said there would be a legal retainer fee of $10, which the plaintiff gladly paid so that he could get restitution. Lincoln then contacted the defendant privately and gave him half the money. The defendant willingly then confessed to the debt and repaid the $2.50, and everything was solved. Isn't that a great story? Restitution was made through the act of a third party. The proceeds were given freely to Mr. Lincoln, and he passed them on to help to restore another. And that is precisely what our message is about this morning. We're finishing up this little series on the New Testament book of Philemon. And the focus is on changing our world one relationship at a time. Last week, we focused on trusting God's process of reconciliation. And today, our focus will be on how we can promote restoration and reconciliation in our own relationships. You know, sometimes God uses a friend in our life to transform us. A friend who might speak a word of challenge that, if responded to favorably by us, has the potential to help us grow or change or be restored. The tricky part is that a challenge like this also, <clears throat> excuse me, also has the potential to test the limits of our friendship. I wonder if you've ever had an experience like that. It often comes as a uh, an intervention of sorts, perhaps a conversation or a, a note or an interaction that challenges us to move beyond the threshold of our comfort zone and to step out into the area of living that we might not be accustomed to, that tests us, that tries our patience or our selflessness. And so as we read about these events in the second half of this little letter of Philemon, it's evident that there's a kind of a process that Paul hopes and believes Philemon will follow in regards to his runaway slave Onesimus. Paul is mediating a rift between these two brothers in Christ, these two believers. And like his Lord, Paul places a high premium on face-to-face -face reconciliation. And so he sends Onesimus back to Philemon for resolution. Onesimus has wronged Philemon in his own home, but he is now willing to return and to make amends, whatever the cost. Paul is confident that Philemon will forgive the wrong and care for Onesimus's spiritual needs. And so this morning, I want to look at this little process that Paul uses to carefully push two friends towards understanding and restoration. 
as we try to discover how we too can promote reconciliation in our lives. And so the first step I want you to see that Paul promotes is to accept the person, to accept the person. Paul writes in verse 17 of Philemon, if then you regard me as a partner, accept him as you would accept me. Now, this verse, verse 17, is kind of the climax of this whole letter. I want you to imagine Onesimus arriving at Philemon's door, knocks on the door, full of apprehension, hoping against hope that he will be greeted with the same hospitality that Paul himself would expect. Now, in all fairness to Philemon, even the most forgiving of us would find it difficult not to be a little angry upon finding someone who has wronged us and stolen from us suddenly turn up at our front door. We can imagine perhaps that Philemon opens the door and there might be a a bit of an awkward silence as he receives the letter that Paul has sent. As he unrolls it, as he reads it, Philemon is likely not overflowing with warm feelings towards Onesimus as he gets to this part of the letter that we call verse 17. And he reads, If then, Philemon, if then you regard me as a partner, says Paul, accept Onesimus as you would accept me. Now, that word that Paul uses for accept actually requires that Philemon go beyond just a mere welcome. The word literally means to take to oneself. To take to oneself. That has a a slightly different ring to it, doesn't it? You know, welcoming someone can sometimes just be a matter of duty or of protocol. But accepting them is a gift from the heart. Imagine that you have a friend that made a painting and they give you that painting and you accept it they're asking you to place it in your home well that's what Paul is doing here he's asking Philemon to restore Onesimus to fellowship by giving him access to Philemon's own heart without prejudice You know, at times, it can be difficult to accept people that aren't like us. How clearly the lines of discrimination are woven into the very fabric of our lives. Every society is characterized in part by those who are acceptable and those who are not. Those who don't get chosen at recess. Those whose invitations to the dance get turned down. Those who get the cold shoulder. Those who consistently miss out on the work promotion or get voted off the island. We exclude others. We exclude others out of pride or fear or misunderstanding or sometimes even a desire to feel superior. And in the act of exclusion, we divide our world into us and them. 
master and slave, right and wrong, liberal, conservative. The list could go on. But you see, we are followers of Jesus Christ. And Christ came as the great wall remover. Scripture says that he broke down the barriers, dismantling the wall of hostility that had separated categories of people since the beginning of time. Any study of Jesus' life must convince us that whatever barriers that we need to overcome to treat people with equality will never compare to what Jesus overcame when he came to this earth. When Jesus loved the guilty and the outcast and the marginalized, the throwaways, he saw people for what they were. They were children of God created in his image, lost like sheep without a shepherd to guide them. He understood that much of our suffering results from us being fallen, broken people. And he could have said, you know, they made their bed, let them lie in it. But that's not part of the character of Jesus. And so instead, he chose to see through the surface of dirt and grime into the divine original, which is hidden in every person. In another of his letters, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 15 that we are to accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. You see, we're to accept whom God accepts and see them through his eyes. God consistently receives those who were formerly scarred by sin and unites them to himself. That is the grace of the gospel. From the mulch pile comes beautiful flowers. Through grace, a runaway slave can become a brother. A murderer named Saul can become Paul the apostle, chosen by God to share the good news. A privileged slave owner can learn that Christian charity extends to all people including slaves. And so for Philemon to accept Onesimus is to extend the same grace that he himself has received from God. Accept the person. Now that doesn't mean that Philemon has to overlook the wrong that's done to him. God doesn't call us to blind tolerance. That then brings us to the next step in our process of reconciliation. We accept the person, which leads us then to forgive the wrong. In verses 18 through 20 of our text today, Paul writes, But if he, Onesimus, has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not to mention that you owe to me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, 
let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. And so Paul here uses some strategy to remind Philemon of the depths from which he had come. He's got that little parenthetical statement, not to mention that you, Philemon, owe me your own self as well. So basically, Paul mentions the very thing that he says he won't. You might be familiar with this ploy when someone is trying to obligate you, maybe through guilt or manipulation, kind of like a parent that says, now, now, honey, I don't want to remind you how much we've done for you and your brothers and your sisters. And then they list all the ways. But I, I don't think that's what Paul's doing here. I don't think Paul's trying to be manipulative. That would be inconsistent with the character of this letter. Rather, Paul is reminding Philemon of the basis of their relationship. He's basically saying, hey, Philemon, don't forget where you came from. God saved you. And by the way, I played a part in that, Paul says. And so like Onesimus, Philemon was brought to faith through the ministry of Paul. And so Paul suddenly and skillfully converts Philemon from a creditor whose debt will be repaid in full to a debtor who can't possibly repay the price of his life. You know, when it comes to forgiveness, we all can probably agree it's a beautiful idea. Isn't that great? Forgiveness. Until we have to practice it. You know, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, we call it the Lord's Prayer. Part of that prayer, Jesus links our own need for forgiveness with our willingness to forgive others. That doesn't mean that God's forgiveness is dependent on our having forgiven others first, but we should never expect to receive what we're not willing to give away. So forgiving those who have wounded us is hard. It's not like flipping a light switch. It's tough, but it is necessary. I found this great little quote from a theologian, Henry Newen, and he describes the process of forgiveness at work. Listen to this. He says, forgiveness from the heart is difficult. I have often said, I forgive you, but even as I said the words, my heart remained angry and resentful. I still wanted to hear the story that tells me I was right after all. I still wanted to hear apologies and excuses. I still wanted the satisfaction of receiving some praise in return. If only the praise for being so forgiving. Wow. Forgiveness is hard. But God's forgiveness is unconditional. It comes from a heart that doesn't demand anything for itself. A heart that expresses pure love. And it is this godly forgiveness that we are called to practice in our daily lives. God's forgiveness calls us to ignore our inner arguments that say that forgiveness is unwise or unhealthy or not practical. 
God's forgiveness, godly forgiveness, challenges us to step over our need for gratitude and compliments. Godly forgiveness demands that we step beyond, beyond the wounded part of our heart that feels hurt and wronged, that wants to stay in control, that wants to put conditions between us and those that have asked us to forgive. And so sometimes we tend to downplay forgiveness, especially if it appears to be too costly to us. Think about Philemon. Accepting Onesimus might cost him something. It might cost him his reputation. He could appear weak and soft. That's a threat to a system that depends on fear and punishment to run smoothly. And so that kind of forgiveness crossed the grain of everything that his society, his culture accepted as normal. And yet Paul encourages him to do what is right. Forgiveness is the only way to break the cycle of oppression. By forgiving Onesimus, Philemon would join in God's restoration work in the lives of sinners. Now both Philemon and Onesimus are sinners. And we can assume that because Onesimus returns that he is also forgiven Philemon of any wrongs. You see, before there can be any restoration in a relationship, both parties must repent and forgive wrongs done by the other. It's not a one-way street. We must forgive. There's no other way. But if forgiveness is to happen, we have to honestly face the sin and how it's affected us. And then we have to choose to release to God the debt that's due. The only way that happens is when we're willing to look to the cross. Until we can understand how great our own sin is and how much grief that we have caused God and others, we will never know how much it costs Christ to forgive us. Understanding the cost for our own forgiveness then gives us the courage and the motivation to be people that freely forgive others. And so will Philemon remember that he too is a bankrupt debtor who's been forgiven by God? Will he then accept God's forgiveness of Onesimus and accept his slave back now as a brother? Those are the choices that face him. Though Paul never once explicitly mentions the word forgiveness in this letter, notice that he encourages Philemon to do what is right to bring about reconciliation. Accept the person. Forgive the wrong. And then the third step in this process of promoting reconciliation, bestow the blessing. The last and perhaps most difficult thing that Paul asks of Philemon is to bestow a blessing on Onesimus. 
This is the grand finale, a sure sign of forgiveness, and that forgiveness has been extended. Listen to verses 21 and 22. Paul says, Having confidence in your obedience, Philemon, I write to you, since I know that you will do even more than what I say. At the same time also, prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I'll be given to you. You know, when we've been hurt, most often the cry of our heart, the thought that goes through our mind is, is why should I? Why should I? Why should I give time or energy or attention to someone who has offended me? Why should I share my life with someone who's shown no respect to me? I might be willing to forgive, but to give more on top of that? That's just ridiculous. Now, I think that probably all of us can empathize with one or more of those statements, those sentiments. If we truly desire to restore a relationship with someone, then we're called to take the initiative. Our actions communicate clearly the reality of our forgiveness and our commitment to reconciliation. It's not enough to just sit back and wait for them. We need to take the first step. There's a great story about Thomas Edison that showed that he understood this principle well. Early in the process of creating the electric light bulb, it took hundreds of hours for he and his staff to manufacture a single incandescent light bulb. One day, after finishing a bulb, he handed it to a young errand boy and asked him to take it upstairs to the testing room. Well, as the boy turned and started up the stairs, he stumbled and fell, and the bulb shattered on the steps. Now, instead of, instead of lecturing the boy, Edison reassured him, and then he told his staff to start working on another bulb. And when it was completed, several days later, Edison powerfully demonstrated the reality of his forgiveness. He walked over to the same boy, handed him that bulb, and said, please take this up to the testing room. I want you to just imagine how that boy must have felt. He knew that he didn't deserve to ever be trusted with that serious responsibility again. And yet here it was. He was being offered something as though nothing had ever happened. Nothing could have restored this boy to the team more clearly, more quickly, or more fully. You see, to bless those who have hurt us, to bless those who have deprived us of something or in some other way damaged us, that is the most extraordinary work any of us will ever do. Bestow 
the blessing. Now we're left to really guess what ultimately happened to Philemon and Onesimus. It's one of those stories that we don't get the end of. Now in the letter, we hear Paul's confidence that Philemon will free Onesimus because of his devotion to God's calling. And I think that because this letter is included in Scripture, we can assume that Philemon did just that. Based on some historical evidence, many scholars believe that Philemon returned Onesimus to Paul in Rome, where he matured into a great man of God. In fact, 50 years later, when the Christian martyr Ignatius was being transported from Antioch to Rome, where he was to be executed, during that journey, he wrote letters to a number of churches. And in writing to the church in Ephesus, he praised a certain bishop, a church leader, named Onesimus, who had come to visit him. And so it appears possible that Onesimus, the runaway slave, had ultimately become a leader in the great church of Ephesus. The power of forgiveness sets free and restores lives. And Onesimus is one such example. I want to close with one more story. During World War I, there was a German soldier and he ducked into a, an out-of-the-way foxhole in the middle of a battle. And there in that foxhole, he found a wounded enemy soldier. The fallen soldier was soaked with blood, clearly only minutes away from death. Touched by the man's plight, the German soldier offered him a drink of his water. Through that small kindness, a bond was created. The dying man pointed to his shirt pocket. The German soldier reached in and removed some family pictures. He held them up so that the wounded man could look upon his loved ones one final time. And so with bullets raging over them and war all around them, these two enemies were for a moment friends about what happened in that foxhole. Did, did all war cease to exist? No. Were all the wrongs made right? No. What happened was simply this. Two enemies saw each other as humans in need of help. See, that's forgiveness. Forgiveness begins by rising above the war looking beyond the uniform, choosing to see the other, not as a foe, not even as a friend, but simply as a fellow soldier, longing to make it home safely. And so what about you? What about you? Is there a wounded soldier in your path that God is calling you to care for? then go and be reconciled. Forgive one another just as God in Christ has forgiven you. 
There is no place for a child of God to hold on to resentment and anger. Is your commitment to Christ reflected in the quality of your relational ties? That is so important. It's so important. God has created us to work out our struggles within the framework of a community. A community that he calls his church. And it is impossible to be spiritually alive while being disconnected from the body and alone. We have joined together in Christ in order to learn how to work together so that every individual part may benefit from all the others. That is our calling as Christ followers. And so in that calling, may we consistently promote reconciliation in our homes, in our community, and especially in his church. Let's pray together.